if you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to Considering Catholicism. I'm Greg Smith, your guide to the faith, life, and civilization that is historic Catholic Christianity. Thanks for listening. And if you have any thoughts, any questions or comments, then send me an email to greg at consideringcatholicism.com and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any episodes and share them with your friends or on social media so that we can grow our audience and enlarge the conversation. Now, three values that have been really foundational to Catholic civilization have been the family, the nurture and protection of children, and respect for law and civil government. And it seems like we're living in times in which those values are, well, fading. Families are stressed and breaking apart. Children and, well, and childhood itself are endangered. And civil order and respect for the law seem to be breaking down. And so, I thought I'd invite a friend of mine who has some unique perspectives on these issues onto the podcast for a conversation about families and the law. Paul Krauss has spent his career as a prosecutor, first in a state attorney general's office and then in a county district attorney's office, specializing in and prosecuting cases dealing with families and children. I, I don't even want to think about how many instances of children being neglected or abused or even murdered that he's seen. But through this uh, grave experience, he certainly learned a lot. And I think we would do well to listen to his insights. Now, Paul is also running for office to become a judge here in West Michigan in a new court that will specifically handle family and child law cases. And so I asked Paul to join us on the podcast to share his unique perspective on families and children, the law, and the role of Catholics in the judiciary. Well, Paul, welcome to the Considering Catholicism podcast. It's great to be here, Greg. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I know how busy you are here in campaign season, and uh, it's been great to get to know you uh, in a lot of different capacities. Uh, you uh, are, uh, we, we attend the same parish, and I've gotten to know you uh, through that in several ways. And, and so I was excited to hear that you were running uh, for this office and uh, excited to hear your perspective because I know uh, kind of what a bright guy you are and how articulate you are. and. And I wanted to have an opportunity for you to come on and talk about your faith and, and the role of faith in the civic sphere and things like that. But let's start off by just having you share with listeners who you are uh, and what office it is that you're, or what bench it is that you're running for and why. 
Thank you, Greg, for having me today. So my name is Paul Krause, and I'm running for the new circuit court judge position we have here in Ottawa County, Michigan. So it's a position uh, that was uh, enacted by the governor and created uh, late last year into early this year that is going to be handling family law cases here in Ottawa County. So by family law, it's going to be child abuse, um, divorce, custody, adoption, guardianship, cases that involve families. Uh, it's going to be all based in one new courthouse that will be built and open next year. So it's just an exciting opportunity to have a judge that can kind of preach and handle the one, uh, one judge, one family model and have an understanding of what's going on with the family. Now, it was you and some other people have been sharing with me a little bit of the, I don't want to say flaws, but the difficulties of having family law handled by you know, multiple judges. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So right now we have different courthouses in Ottawa County and different judges that practice in this particular area. So it's possible you could have a family that say is going through a divorce. Maybe they have a child abuse matter. Uh, that could be a personal protection order issue. And all of those different aspects of that family life could be handled by a different judge. Problem with that as one judge may not know what the other judge is doing. And so having it centralized with one judge that can handle all of those various aspects should result in better results for families in our, in our community. Kind of a wraparound approach. Absolutely, absolutely. Because if one judge doesn't know what the other is doing, there could be contrary results or there could be, you know, uh, different verdicts or rulings that are inconsistent. So what prompted you to run for this office and, and why are you running and what would you like to say to those people who, you know, might be voting for you? No, I appreciate that question. So for 17 years, I have practiced in the area of family law and I got into the area sort of by, by chance. It wasn't, wasn't intentional. In law school, I knew I wanted to do something in public service, but I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. And one uh, afternoon, I was going in our cafeteria in our Iowa Attorney General's office had a little clerk stand where they were looking for law clerks. Right. And so by chance, I was there, stopped by, talked talk to the person that was there. They liked me. I liked them. They suggested I submit a resume, which I ended up doing, and ended up getting a, a summer clerkship with the Iowa Attorney General's office. I ended up doing that two summers in a row. It went so well that they said, when you graduate, if you would like to come and join us, uh, we'll have a spot for you. So that was kind of novel or unique at that time to go right from law school into an assistant attorney general position. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know is what area I would be practicing in. And when I got to the attorney general's office, they said, you're the new person here and nobody wants to do child abuse work. So we're going <laughs> to have you handle cases involving, involving children. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't have the training, the expertise. And I didn't have an understanding of just how sensitive and difficult those cases were going to be. And so for the first two years, I would say it was really a learning process and made some mistakes along the way and struggled a little bit with the subject matter. My wife would say those were some of the two most difficult years of our marriage as mm -hmm. I was dealing with autopsy reports or dealing with very sensitive subject in terms of sex abuse and, and, and the horrific things that you see with children. And only through surrounding myself with good mentors mm -hmm. and getting uh, good training and so forth did I start to get better at it. 
And about at the two-year mark, my boss at the time came to me and said, okay, you've done this long enough. Where do you want to go? Do you want to represent, say, a, a university or the lottery or the Department of Transportation, all the things that the Attorney General's office handles for the state? And I was getting that professional satisfaction of being able to help families and children at that point. And so I decided to stick with it. Wow. Ended up doing that for nine years, and then my wife graduated with her PhD in art history, and there was exactly zero art history positions available in <laughs> Iowa. So here she was, this long educational journey, very talented, working on a book, just kind of cutting edge researcher, and there was no positions for her. Right. And so I decided that I'm going to get out of the area of child protection, or so I thought. <laughs> and I'm going to follow my wife's career. So she went on a national search, got a number of job opportunities, one of which was Hope College in Holland, Michigan, and uh, ended up getting hired as uh, an associate professor of art history at Hope College. And so she went to Hope, and then I joined a local law firm where I uh, was practicing in the area of family law. So divorce, custody, adoption, guardianship, the types of positions that this new judgeship is going to handle. And one day I had received a phone call from our chief deputy prosecutor locally who said, our county has some issues with child abuse. We could really use somebody that has some expertise and knowledge in the area of child abuse prosecution. Would you ever consider going back from the uh, public sector? or excuse me, from the private sector back into the public sector as uh, a prosecutor locally. And so uh, prayed on it, talked to my wife, uh, a couple days later decided to take up that opportunity and join the prosecutor's office. So now I'm going on six years. I'm our division director for our cases involving families. I handle our child abuse cases, child death cases, uh, cases involving uh, families more generally serve on our child death review team. So with a number of professionals, we review child deaths that occur in Ottawa County that are not a result of natural causes. So that could be accidents, that could be car accidents, it could be child abuse, um, could be murder, depending on the circumstance. And we look to see if there was something unique to that case that could be have done differently so mm -hmm. that a similar incident would not happen again. And a lot of great tangible kinds of things come out of that for bettering our community and hopefully preventing another death from happening again. Wow, that's fantastic. So, Paul, with all of your experience in family law and um, what the fate of children uh, in our society, and when you talk about child abuse, child deaths, child custody and whatnot, you're really dealing with you know, the most vulnerable people in our society in many ways, right? And the family itself. And as we look around today, would you share a little bit about kind of where you see the family and children today? Uh, the impression that a lot of us get when we look at the news or whatever is that things are getting much worse for families and for children than they were 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And I know some of that's anecdotal because the news is going to show, you know, the things that are most sensational. But you're in the trenches every day seeing this. Talk a little bit about the state of our culture and society with respect to children and families. Yeah, it's interesting. So only the most serious cases come, come to me. And, you know, we're a county of over 320,000 people. And to put it in perspective, we had 39 
petitions that were filed last year where children had to be removed out of the care and custody of a family. So you're really, I'm only seeing a small number really of our total society. But I would say there are kind of common themes that kind of are reoccurring and I see in the cases that make their way to court, which are the most serious. And at the heart of it is mental health issues within our community, substance abuse issues within our community, domestic violence issues where families are um, are stressed either because of financial reasons or other things going on in their home and, and things kind of boil over where there's, where there's domestic violence. We have a diverse county in terms of we have some population centers and then we, and then we also have um, some agricultural areas as well. And what's interesting is mental health and substance abuse really cuts across areas, even if it's rural or urban, which is kind of an interesting thing that I've, that I've noticed. So, so is, does that speak to maybe sort of deeper societal trends? Like you're saying, in, in a sense, it's irrespective of demographics. You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I don't know, all of, our, all of our experiences are kind of anecdotal, right? But what strikes me is that today you go into the most upper middle class or whatever homes or families and some of the same... Uh, you see some of the same things going on there that you might see in a completely dem- different demographic. And so for those people who are sort of safely ensconced in quote unquote nice, you know, middle class, upper middle class enclaves and think, well, this sort of thing can't happen here or these are things that happen to other people in other places. Are these more broad societal trends? No, they, they are. Absolutely. And certainly money and, and status and class can kind of buy a family time. So I've seen some families that end up having a bad, say, methamphetamine addiction. And it takes some time for them to lose their job because they can no longer hold it down because of the addiction. That then translates into losing the mortgage on their home. So now they're homeless and they're isolating from different family members because of their their addiction versus somebody who maybe doesn't have those resources and so right away they're kind of experiencing some of those other societal societal issues but it is interesting how it does seem to cut across all socioeconomic classes yeah. as well well yeah substance abuse it seems to have no uh, social you know socio demographic uh, you know correlation right i mean there are people uh, who are, you know, economically very well off, who are addicted and there are people who aren't. And then when you talk about mental health and, and, and pornography and all these things that seem to undermine our wellness, um, what, what do you, Paul, what do you think are the causes of some of this? I, I know maybe that's a little bit of unfair question that you're, you know, you, you can't, you know, ultimately describe what it is, but you must see things every day that lead you to conclude to some conclusions. Well, the pandemic certainly didn't help, you know, where families were going home, isolating from children from their classmates or uh, parents that were at home and, you know, weren't around coworkers and socializing. I think we'll look back on the pandemic and, you know, 30, 40, 50 years from now and study exactly what the mental health impact was of it. I don't know exactly what it was at this point, other than to say the abuse seems to have gotten more severe. During that period of time, there's much more sexual abuse. There's much more graphic physical abuse. So there certainly is some link that I've seen locally uh, based on this time that we've gone through 
together. And it'll be interesting to kind of study that and see exactly why, why it happened the way it did. Yeah. Well, sociologists with more data than us at some point, like you say, will maybe, you know, pile through that or, you know, wade through that and figure out what's going on. But, but at least at, at this point, you know, it makes me wonder whether some of those trends that the pandemic accelerated were, were basically an acceleration of things that were already going in our society, where the family is becoming disconnected from you know, roots and values and worldviews. And I don't, I don't know what. I mean, do you see any common things running through uh, all of these social ills that you... On our sexual abuse cases, I've seen parents or uncles or neighbors uh, sexually abuse very young children. And one common theme that I've seen with that is pornography, as you had referenced earlier, you know, and kind of everything that's available online right now. So oftentimes somebody will mention in court or they'll, they'll admit to what they what they've done to to a child and then they'll indicate yep it started with pornography and i got addicted and i just basically lost lost control in that in that area so i'm not saying that's a hundred percent of the cases certainly um, it's not but that is one trend that i've seen kind of the area of sexual abuse where access to pornography and kind of social media online i got somebody going in, in the wrong direction yeah you know It's interesting when we think about what the potential for the World Wide Web is and all the good that it can do. And yet, you know, if you went back in time to, you know, 100, 200 years ago, uh, when people didn't have access to all of this, it, it, it really opens the door for some very positive things and societal contributions and some very negative things that, you know, come into your home, you know. You used to have to run away and join the merchant marine and travel to a distant port to experience things now that you can just, you know, let into the access of your living room. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, terrible. What about uh, the breakdown of this? It's family law. So, you, you know, you're dealing with obviously the dissolution of families, the breaking down of families. Have you learned anything from dealing with those cases about some of the maybe social trends or cultural trends that might be ex- exacerbating that breakdown? Yeah. um, One of the things I've learned is how important it is to kind of as quickly and safely put a family back together. Mm -hmm. And so when children are removed from a parent, there certainly is trauma just in that action kind of being separated from that parent. So a greater focus on services earlier in a case can really be helpful. Or trying to quickly put that family back together. You can't go too fast because you want them successful and you want to wrap services around them so they're successful with whatever issues led to that removal of that child from their care. Um, But that is an area that I've evolved kind of in my position where I see that we need to be very intensive and intentional with families to get them put together as as quickly and safely as possible. Is the family uh, still an idea or our understanding of the family as that's transforming in this society is it is still a uh a po- as powerful of of a unit for how we organize right i mean so we're going to transition here into some maybe catholic uh teachings here a little bit but within catholicism we think of the family as the basic organizing unit of society and my question for you is someone who's dealing with these kinds of family law cases every day is do people still think of it as the basic organizing unit of society? Do do families think of it that way? Do individuals think? Does does the law consider it still that way? 
Yeah, that, that's a that's a fascinating question. And so I think so. I think uh, the law would still recognize it that way. I, I think every family is different and every family has unique needs and have different compositions, as we know, in, in kind of the modern society. You have single parents, you have, you know, parents that have been together for a significant period of time. You have parents that might be on their second or third partner at this point, or maybe never got married. And so you take the family as you find them and you apply the law justly to them as what is their composition of their family without any kind of preconceived notion or, or ideas. Um, but I think fundamentally, yes, a family is still a family and recognizes such. So you said something there that sort of segues into, I think, the next thing I'd like to talk about, which is you've n- never uh, tried to hide the fact that you're a Catholic, uh, that you are devout in your faith. Uh, that's a part of who you are. And, uh, and yet you are a civil servant and uh, you're running for a judgeship. And we hear today from certain quarters of our society that people of faith, Christians, uh, particularly even Catholics, don't belong on the bench in the judiciary, and they don't belong in these positions because they will, in unfair ways, allow their Catholic faith or their Catholic values to influence their judicial uh, responsibilities or the exercise of their responsibilities. How does a person of faith exercise their judicial responsibilities in a just and, and civilly responsible way? I I think Catholics make great judges, and I think part of it is their upbringing. I know my parents were very public servant-minded growing up. Uh, We were that type of family that, you know, at Christmas time, we would go and we'd volunteer to take, you know, turkeys to to families at Christmas time instead of being home with our own family. My parents very early on went to Juarez and were missionaries for, for a period of time because they wanted to make a difference in the world. And I see that with other Catholic judges as well. You kind of have ingrained in you this idea of service and giving back to one's community that I think isn't just true of judges, but as Catholics in all different segments of ways that we that we serve our community, whether it's serving on local boards or whether it's volunteering at different organizations, that's who we are as Catholics. Uh, Catholics tend to be rule followers. You know, we're people that understand that there's expectations in a society. And I think that's kind of in the fabric of who Catholics are as judges. And I think um, is one way that the judges can be successful, kind of having that kind of that particular background. But I also, you know, I have no agenda. I'm not pre-committed to any any particular notion. I'm somebody that will apply the law to the facts of any unique case that that comes before me. And I think um, you see that with Catholic judges, that they're not activists. They're not out to, you know, push their agenda on anybody. They're there to do the right thing and to apply the law to the facts of the case. Right. I wonder sometimes whether, you know, objectivity is something of a, a misnomer in the sense that don't, doesn't everyone, everyone who sits on a bench have values have a worldview and don't they, is it impossible to separate your values and your worldview from how you understand what's happening in front of your bench and how you uh, apply the law 
And so, you know, I, I'm just curious because I don't, I think a lot of times this is applied, it, it's a suggested that this is especially different for, difficult for Catholics, but isn't it true for every judge that they have to learn to moderate or apply their values and, and their worldview with their, you know, integrate that with their responsibilities? You would sure hope so. Right. Because you don't want anybody getting in there and then imposing their will and, and their own moral right. views on, on others. And it, I think it does apply to everybody. I think Catholics can have extra scrutiny in that area and kind of right. social media and kind of the world that we live in right now. But uh, if a judge is fulfilling their professional obligations and they're faithful to the law and to the Constitution, they're not imposing their own religious beliefs or right. religious thoughts on anybody that comes right. before them. So that kind of uh, prejudice, perhaps, that we see against Catholics and civic life uh, from certain quarters, how would you just respond to that? Well, I, I, I don't think it's fair. And I think, um, you know, you should give the judge the benefit of the doubt uh, that they're, gonna, they're there to do the right thing and they're there to serve the people. And, you know, certainly there could be examples of people that are take an activist position or something like that, they should be called out because right. that's not the role of a judge. A judge isn't there to create law. A judge isn't there to impose their will on a society. It is very, very simple, their purpose. It's to apply the law to the facts, the unique facts that are before them and not to preordain a position on any particular case or any type of case that would be before them. Great. We have listeners from, uh, you know, 30 or 40 countries and 45 U.S. states that are listening who won't have an opportunity to vote. But what would you say to them in terms of how they should understand this vital area of family law and the things that are taking place where they do live? Well, I think it's the most critical area of the law because you can have a generational impact on a family and on children. If you can take a child out of a home of abuse, so that they don't understand that that's normal. You've now disrupted that cycle and hopefully will have prevented other children in the future from experiencing those same, those same dynamics. And that's what's so exciting about this area of the law for me and why I've remained passionate about it and have stayed up on the law and continue to go to trainings and continue to push myself because I realize what's at stake. On a criminal case, you know, where somebody is 50 or 60 and committing crimes, sure, you can post some jail time or, or prison, but it's much more difficult to perfect change on that person than on a young child that is in the system that you can forever change the course of their particular life. And so these issues are messy. They're difficult. But as um, a Catholic and just as somebody that cares just very deeply about our community, I'm anxious to get my hands dirty and get in there and hopefully problem solve with, with families and to have the demeanor and temperament to be able to get through to families to bring about positive change. Well, thank you so much, Paul. I know how busy you are right now knocking on doors. How many doors have you knocked on? Many, many. You know, I don't have an exact number, but I think either myself or folks that have been volunteered to help me are now five, 6,000 homes in Ottawa County. Wow. So we and feel very excited excited about that. And those conversations, I'm sure, are really interesting and enlightening. So they are. I know you have more places to be and more doors to knock on. So we'll let you go. Thank you for stopping by and being a guest on the podcast today. Greg, thanks for having me. And thanks to your listeners for listening in today. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. 
And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.